Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, and I am delighted to be with you today as we round out the week and get ready for the weekend. We've got a lot we're going to cover on the show today, so let's not delay. Let's go pray right now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, it's one of those things that as we are on this Friday of Lent, I feel like the uh, Lenten penance, one of the Lenten penances I've chosen, has really helped me get ready for Friday because it's involved what I eat and where I eat it from. And yesterday was one of those days. I think most of my meals yesterday did not involve meat at all. And so actually uh, going into today, I mean, 10 years ago, I was doing all right with Meatless Fridays. 20 years ago, though, I was like, oh, woe is me, woe is me, it's Friday. I just can't wait till Saturday when I can eat meat again. No, I'm actually looking forward to the abstinence today. Not that I don't want to go get a a big old, good old bacon cheeseburger today, but I want to love our Lord more. And uh, I'm, I'm just really grateful for the place I'm in in life right now. I want to say that just as we get started here. On the show today, we are going to hear from uh, Scott Kennebec and John Walsh, two St. Louisans. They've got some good uh, Irish news for us as we get ready for St. Patrick's Day a week from today. And then we spoke the other day with Bishop Paprocki, and we're going to bring you some parts of that conversation today talking about Lent and a couple opportunities for us all in this season of Lent. And uh, we've got you know some music for you. We've got the Daily Dose of Encouragement. We'll have some fun along the way on the show today. Now, I keep reminding myself that I saw a weather report the other day that said March is going to be below average in terms of temperature. And every day I walk out the door hoping that that weather report was wrong. Today, it doesn't feel like it was wrong, but for the ultimate report, we have to go to Mike Roberts for today's weather and our Saint of the Day. Today is the feast day of St. John Ogilvie, who was a martyr. Born in Scotland in 1579, his father was a wealthy landowner and a Calvinist. When he was 12, John was sent to the continent to finish his education and there taught by the Benedictines in Germany and the Jesuits in Moravia. John had become interested in the debates between Calvinists and Catholics. As he searched for the truth, he was especially moved by what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome, I will refresh you. In time, he came to feel that the Catholic Church welcomed everyone and was especially impressed by the dedication of the martyrs. He eventually joined the Jesuits and was ordained in 1610. Shortly after that, he met two priests who had just been expelled from Scotland after being arrested and imprisoned. His superior sent John on a secret mission to Scotland. However, they had little success in return to Paris, but he was sent back and this time able to gain many converts before being betrayed and arrested. 
Though he was severely tortured, he would not acknowledge the king as the final arbiter of all spiritual matters, saying, In all that concerns the king, I will slavishly be obedient. But in things that are spiritual in jurisdiction, which the king unjustly seizes, I cannot and must not obey. On the scaffold, he was offered his freedom and a fine living if he would recant, but he refused and was hanged for being a Catholic on this day in 1615. St. John Ogilvie, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. You know, it's that time of year where I am getting the uh, Irish music out left and right. And honestly, for my family, that's all throughout the year. But one of the joys of our Catholic faith is in our tradition, and as a proud Irish Catholic, we have so many great sacred songs that come to us, and we think of some of the great Irish musicians who have sung those songs over the years. And with us in studio today to tell us about one of those great musicians is another great musician. Scott Kennebec's here with John Walsh. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Adam. Thanks for having us. All right. Great, thank you. Now, now, Scott, I know that uh, you've been singing the music of John McCormick, which really isn't so much his music. It's music that John McCormick sang right. uh, for quite some time. Tell us a little yep. bit about Mr. McCormick here. It's a name I'm not familiar with. So John and I uh, did an, uh, a tribute recording of for John McCormick called Emerald Tribute several years ago. And, you know, just researching uh, McCormick and his history, there were several interesting St. Louis connections. Uh, So he was born in 1884, died in 1945, and he won the famous Irish singing contest in Dublin in 1903, and then was selected to come with the Irish contingency to the World's Fair here in 1904. So there's that connection there. And then I haven't been able to exactly prove this, but he was such a devout Catholic and St. James is right there near the park and was there in 1904. So he surely must have gotten to St. James at some point while he was here in St. Louis. I'm a St. James boy, went to grade school there, uh, grew up in the neighborhood. So there's that connection there too. So we found all these interesting things that have kind of continued to draw us towards his music. His wife, Lily, after he died, she wrote his biography entitled I hear you calling me, which is one of his iconic songs. But she tells the story of his Catholic faith. Uh, have always, his rosary was side by side before, with him before any performance, whether it was a solo performance or an operatic thing. But their story of meeting at the World's Fair and his devotion to his faith. He became American citizen, so he always had dual citizenship. Uh, he raised money for the war efforts for World War One and World War Two, mm-hmm. and just a be- beautiful person. We mentioned Irish Catholic too, and that, mm-hmm. that's an important connection because, in addition to living out his Catholic faith, praying his Rosary, there there's some other nuggets we need to know about his associations with Rome. So yeah, in 1928 he received the title of Papal Count from Pope Pius uh, the Eleventh. Uh, in recognition of his work with Catholic Charities and the war effort and all that. Um, he was also, he has uh, three papal knighthoods, Knight of the Order of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, Knight of the Order of St. Gregory the Great. He was a uh, Knight of Malta, and he was a privy chamberlain of the sword and cape, which is now known as a gentleman of his holiness. So his faith was incredibly important to yeah. him. Now, I know growing up in a proud 
Irish household. I mean, rumor has it, uh, my grandfather died before I was born, but that uh, my maternal grandfather would put all of his stereo speakers out on the front porch on St. Patrick's Day and just blare the Irish music for everyone in the neighborhood to hear, whether they wanted to or not. But it was always a fun tradition to gather with my grandmother and sing songs. I, I think in particular of when Irish eyes are smiling, and she'd always say, when Irish eyes are smiling at them, they're usually up to something. Uh, and we would sing these songs. So you have a, a whole host of songs from John McCormick that you're going to be singing in concert coming up at the Blue Strawberry here in St. Louis. Right. Yeah, that's uh, Thursday, March 16th, and Friday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, both the concerts are at 7:30, and it's going to include all songs that John McCormick would have been familiar with because they're of that time, as well as the Irish songs. We'll have some sing-alongs so people can join in the St. Patrick's Day revelry, um, and uh, we'll be joining at that concert by my daughter Emily actually who's going to sing a few things she's on the recording she sings the last rose of summer so she'll be singing that at, at the concert as well and uh, she's doing how are things in Glockamora from Finian's Rainbow how yes. are things in Glockamora these days? That's a, well, you got to come to the concert to find out. That's right. That's right. So now, before we before we go to uh, one of the songs from the album here, I would like to ask you this. I mean, you've had the opportunity to sing some amazing pieces of music. I've had the the joy of singing some of those with you over the years, uh, and I always walk away different after learning new music. Mm-hmm. How has singing the music of of John McCormick affected you? Well, it's amazing the breadth of things that he sang. I mean, of course, for me, the sacred music, the church music is the closest to my heart, which I think for John McCormick would be the same given his devotion to the Catholic faith. But to see that he can use that gift that God gave him in other venues and other in other musical outlets, uh, but still have that same core that you work with, the belief that there's something bigger than us. And we're able to reflect some of that beauty through singing any type of music, I think. And he, he entered the American stage about 40 or 50 years after the Great Migration that, that happened in the latter part of the 1800s. And his songs uh, are a lot of Irish poetry that are set to music that express a lot of the sorrow, you know, that, that happened with, you know, pulling yourself away from your home country. I'm thinking of the song, I'll Take You Home Again, Kathleen, mm-hmm. which talks about you know his, his wife dying and he's going to take her back to Ireland to bury her. Through all of that sadness, perseverance through faith. Yes, yeah. exactly. A beautiful thing. All right, for more information on that, you can visit the uh, the concert of John McCormick music at the Blue Strawberry. I imagine you can Blue, just... Yeah, bluestrawberrystl.com. Well, we are, we are going to go to a break here, John and Scott. I want to thank you for coming in today. Scott, tell us a little bit about what we are going to hear in this break of uh, this so wonderful music. On this Emerald Tribute uh, CD, we've got a couple sacred songs. One is Pontius Angelicus, but we've also got Nearer My God to Thee, which uh, was another uh, piece that, that John McCormick was well known for singing. So I think we're going to hear that. All right. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this. Prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive 
It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Here's a little trivia for you on this Friday morning. According to folklore, the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee, which we just heard sung beautifully by Scott Kennebec, was the last hymn played by, actually the last song of any song, played by the band on the RMS Titanic before the ship sank and supposedly was sung by the crew and passengers of the SS Valencia as it sank off the Canadian coast in 1906. Just a little tidbit for you on this Friday morning. Earlier this week, we had a chance to sit down with Bishop Thomas John Paprocki of the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois to have a conversation about this whole season that we're in of Lent and the sacred Paschal Triduum that comes next. And we want to bring you part of that conversation this morning. So let's go back a few days to visit with Bishop Paprocki. Normally, we're very happy to welcome Bishop Thomas John Paprocki to our studios, but, you know, there is a bit of a distance between Springfield, Illinois, and St. Louis, Missouri, so thanks to the wonders of modern technology, we're able to connect with His Excellency uh, via Zoom today. So, Bishop Paprocki, it's so great to have you with us, as always. Great to be with you again, too. We are in the season of Lent, something that you and I have spoken about before, and there is no shortage of spiritual topics that we could discuss today. So I'd like to start with this. It's a season where we are making a return to the Lord in many ways. Uh, Many of us will go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, if not just once, multiple times throughout the season. And uh, right now in the Diocese of Springfield, in addition to the sacramental forgiveness we can receive in that wonderful sacrament, there is also remission from the temporal punishment due to sin that is available at both the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Springfield and the former cathedral in Alton. And I was wondering if you could refresh our memories on what's going on specifically with those opportunities. Yes, so we're celebrating the centennial of the uh, translation, as they call it, or simply the transfer of the diocesan see from Alton to uh, Springfield, which took place in 1923. So uh, this is our centennial year. We're also doing this in conjunction with the National Eucharistic Revival. So we have designated this uh, as a Eucharistic year uh, that is that began last December 8th and will continue until uh, uh, December 9th of, uh, of this year. And uh, in accordance with that, I requested and received uh, an indult from uh, the Holy See that grants a plenary indulgence under the usual conditions for anyone who visits our cathedral, uh, visiting, going, make a... a a visit to a church is, is usually called a pilgrimage. And so you make anyone making a pilgrimage to our cathedral in Springfield or the former cathedral, the first cathedral of St. Peter and Paul in uh, Alton, Illinois, during this year uh, will receive a plenary indulgence, uh, which is a, a remission of uh, of the temporal punishment attached to our sins. So it's something that's maybe a little confusing to people sometimes. We Our sins are forgiven. Uh, in the sacrament of penance when we confess them and receive absolution. But uh, in justice, uh, we still have to be purified in a sense of uh, cleaning up our relationship with our Lord. So uh, before we enter heaven, that's the whole idea of purgatory. So the, the indulgences are remission of uh, time, you might say, although I, in, in eternity, I think I don't think there is any sense of time, but there is a sense of, of having to go through this period of purification and, and purgatory. And so our indulgences are a a way that the church has granted from her spiritual treasures. Uh, The usual conditions uh, are to go uh, receive the sacrament of penance and receive Holy Communion and to have no uh, no attachment to sin. 
So, and those uh, works can be done, for example, uh, of going to confession, uh, usually within a week or so of the work that is uh, prescribed. So in this case, the work would be making that pilgrimage, going to the cathedral or St. Peter and Paul, and when there, participating in some prayers in conjunction with the Jubilee. Uh, so a prayer, an invocation, for example, to the Immaculate Conception at our cathedral, the Immaculate Conception in Springfield, or some invocation to Saints Peter and Paul, When, if you're at the uh, the former cathedral, Saints Peter Paul Church in Alton. And then always with the plenary indulgence, uh, we are expected to say prayers for our Holy Father. And that can be satisfied simply by saying an Our Father and a Hail Mary. So th- those are the typical conditions uh, attached to receiving an indulgence. Now, we know that the most important thing about the time of our death is that we should die in a state of grace, because if we do not, we know what the church teaches happens to our souls, and uh, it's not a very pleasant thing. But, you know, perhaps we think, okay, you, you wrote to Rome to get the permission to have these indulgences offered, which is an easier thing in the year 2023. I, I imagine a lot of that can be done digitally and if nothing else we have airplanes that can fly paper correspondence across the sea it's not like a couple hundred years ago where you know writing to rome from the united states was quite the ordeal but since sacramental confession is what's required for the forgiveness of sins and we're talking about the indulgence being the remission of temporal punishment for sins it's not required that we do an indulgence but it's beneficial to us. And it is, I imagine, some amount of work to have this opportunity available, uh, even in the digital age of communicating with Rome. Why is this important to you? And and why would you take this opportunity to seek out an indulgence? Well, first of all, yes, the communications are faster and easier these days. So I I received a notice uh, from, it's called the Apostolic Penitentiary, uh, in Rome and a penitentiary, not in the, the sense that we understand it usually here as a prison, uh, but the penitentiary is a place of doing penance. So the apostolic penitentiary is the dicastery of the Holy See that really is in charge of, of matters like uh, indulgences or uh, anything related to what is called the internal form, or, uh, the form of conscience. And so I received an email uh, with a copy of the decree, and then I also received uh, a hard copy parchment uh, in in the mail, which actually came pretty quickly, uh, and uh, we have that on display now at our cathedral with the translation. It was all in Latin, so I had to brush up on my Latin, and I sat down and translated it. So we've got a translation of that decree uh, in the um, atrium at our cathedral, and also a copy on display uh, at Saints Peter and Paul Church. But the reason I asked for this, uh, I think it's important, and I've, I've been trying to stress this during. Lent, my homily last Sunday at our cathedral in Springfield was to talk about indulgences. And it's something that um, I, I don't think is getting that much attention as it used to. I, th- I think people used to be much more aware of the whole idea of indulgences. But uh, an indulgence is important because, as I was saying earlier, our sins are forgiven. Uh, but in a sense, uh, perhaps the best way to understand it would be you know, our relationship with God is analogous to a relationship with with uh, any other person that we have. And so, when you when you have a um, uh, let's say a disagreement, where spouses have a disagreement, and um, and 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 then they want to make up, and and so they say to each other, "I'm sorry," and so they forgive each other. But maybe there's still the sense that that the relationship isn't quite right, and and so you want to take a little additional steps. So if the if the husband uh, offended his wife. For example, has said something uh, mean or nasty, and uh, then he re- he's he's sorry, 
Uh, and he says, oh, I'm sorry, I, I said that. And she says, I forgive you. Well, in a sense, that what that transgression is forgiven. But maybe he wants to really make it up. And he says, well, to show you that everything's really okay, we're, I'm going to take you out for dinner or get her a bouquet of flowers. And uh, that's, in a sense, that's what we do uh, when we seek indulgences. Indulgences are, are basically um, prayers, for the most part, or ways of showing that God that we love him. And so I think when we do those those practices, uh, there are ways of, of uh, really kind of repairing our relationship uh, with God. And so at um, my homily last Sunday at the cathedral, I I pointed out, you know, these are these plenary indulgences are are, are special opportunities, uh, but there are also what we call partial indulgences. The the church used to uh, number those in years. I mean, you might some of our older uh, 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 folks may remember when you there was a prayer and say you say that prayer and there'll be a little note a hundred years indulgence or a hundred days indulgence or something like that and uh, since the Second Vatican Council that's been re- revised because in a sense um, you know this the whole idea of, of purgatory is not as, uh, so much a matter of time as it is of of purging uh, our sinfulness and purifying our relationship with God. So partial indulgence in that sense is 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 uh, a way of saying that we are we're making progress in this. And so there are four major grants of uh, partial indulgences that people could do anytime, anywhere. And so the first one is simply uh, enduring the hardships of daily life. We you again might remember the expression offering something up. Well, you, if you're just you know you're doing a task that's really hard. And you say to God, I, I offer this up uh, in, as a sign of repentance for my sins. Uh, another indulgence would be uh, of um, of giving uh, to charity, giving something to helping the poor. So like not only money, but even giving of yourself. So like volunteering at, at a, a, a bread line or a soup kitchen or something like that, or giving clothing to the poor uh, or, or almsgiving is the, is the term that we use for giving charitable contributions, uh, not just to any charity, but to a charity that really helps the poor. And we also, um, the third grant or concession is giving something up voluntarily. So there are, we have the requirements like during Lent of giving up meat, abstaining from meat on Ash Wednesday and the Fridays of Lent, and then fasting on Ash Wednesday and uh, uh, on Good Friday. But, um, you know, giving something else up that you don't have to, and then offering that as a way of showing your love for God. And then finally, the fourth general concession would be that uh, for those who give witness uh, in their lives. So we have opportunities sometimes, um, and it's it's hard to do that sometimes, you know, when you're in a situation where um, in our secular world to, to speak about Christ and to speak about our relationship with the Lord, that's not always easy to do. So when we do give public witness to our faith, that's that's also another indulgence opportunities. A most commendable indulgence prayer to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, shower copiously thy blessings on thy holy church, on the Supreme Pontiff, and on all the clergy. Grant perseverance to the just convert sinners, enlighten infidels, bless our parents, friends, and benefactors, assist the dying, liberate the souls of purgatory, and extend over all hearts the sweet empire of thy love. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, most kind, bless us now and in death's agony. From a sudden and unprovided death, deliver us, O Lord. 
We are going to jump back into our conversations with Bishop Paprocki about the season of Lent. Before the break, we were talking about the opportunity for an indulgence, which is going to lead right into the next part of our conversation. When we started the conversation on indulgences, we were talking about the cathedrals and the former cathedral in the Diocese of Springfield and the current cathedral, and we are talking about the season of Lent. So one of the other things involving the cathedrals that happened recently in uh, a lot of our cathedrals around the world was the rite of election, where the candidates and catechumens who will be entering the church at the Easter Vigil came to the cathedrals and something happened there. And as someone who's never been through RCIA, I was born Catholic, raised Catholic. I've never been a sponsor. I've never been part of the RCIA team. I've always seen the sending from the parish that we're sending our catechumens, we're sending our candidates to the cathedral for the rite of election, but I've never been there for that. What is this rite of election that we heard about recently and why is it important? Well, the rite of election is part of what is called the catechumenate. And catechumenate is a period uh, usually about a year long when somebody says, uh, I want to become uh, baptized, you know, so uh, we're not talking about like a baptized uh, Protestant. There's a sort of a separate process for that. So they're already baptized. They're already Christian. We call that coming into full communion with the church. And that can actually be done anytime uh, in the course of the year. So there's specific training. For example, somebody that's been going to church as a practicing Lutheran uh, all their life, um, they're really not catechumens because they're already Christian. Uh, so there the question is, how do you learn more about the Catholic faith and then be received into full communion by making a profession of faith and then receiving the sacrament of confirmation? But with the catechumenate, these are people that are not baptized. And so there's a year-long process. It's really a process of, of growing uh, in the faith. And as part of that, uh, they come uh, to the cathedral. Typically, we do. Uh, it's the first Sunday of Lent. We do it the first Sunday of Lent in our diocese. Most dioceses do it then also. And I explain to the people that it is an election. Uh, it's not an election in the sense of, uh, you know, campaign literature and, and uh, debates and things like that. And then you're going to vote some, for somebody. It's an election because in this case, the right of election, there's only one elector, and that's God. God is choosing them. My scripture says, uh, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And uh, that's really what's happening. And, and it's an important reminder because I think sometimes uh, people coming into the church and asking for baptism can can maybe get into a mindset like, oh, I am choosing to become Catholic. And, and in a sense, that's true. But more importantly, God has chosen them first. Yeah, it's God's grace that really invites us into this relationship with him. And then we respond to that. So I tell people that uh, I try to remind the catechumens that uh, you know, this is really God making the election. He's choosing you, and I, I commend you uh, for saying yes to that call, but uh, it's really God making the election. And so after that, well, the ceremony itself is a very simple ceremony. Uh, it's uh, readings from Scripture and a homily, and uh, and then the, the people are presented. First of all, the sponsors uh, and the whole community, in effect, uh, in a way, um, gives affirmation or acclamation for those chosen to enter into, into the faith. And um, and then they, they come up one by one uh, or parish by parish into the sanctuary. And I stand at the altar uh, and each uh, group that comes up uh, by parish, uh, usually the director of catechesis or whoever's in charge of their RCIA program, or perhaps uh, the pastor himself would come up with them with a book that is called the Book of the Elect. And uh, in that book, the names of all those from that parish 
who are catechumens that will be baptized uh, and receive the sacraments of initiation at the Easter Vigil, their names are listed. And then they come up, they present that book to me, and I sign it on the altar as the bishop of the diocese. And so their names are inscribed in the book of the elect. And then after that, uh, they're no longer referred to as the catechumens, but they are referred to as the elect because they have been elected. They've been chosen by God. And so now they continue uh, throughout this Lenten season uh, through uh, continued purification uh, leading to the Easter vigil. And so through the uh, Easter season, there are also some additional ceremonies. These are usually done in the parish called the scrutinies. And uh, the scrutinies are a way of, of uh, it's really to continue that whole process of conversion. And so who's what's the scrutiny here? The church, in a sense, is scrutinizing uh, to make sure that these people are ready to be baptized and confirmed, make their first Holy Communion. But more importantly, I think they're they're scrutinizing their own souls, looking into their hearts to to really uh, to turn their hearts to God. And so part of the um, the the scrutinies in, involves a um, uh, an exorcism and a prayer of exorcism. And I would. Uh, emphasize that what we call that a minor exorcism. Sometimes people get freaked out when they hear the word exorcism because of the the more spectacular versions of it that Hollywood has. But an exorcism is simply renouncing Satan. And every time we renew our baptismal promises, which we all do at the Easter Vigil and even the Sundays throughout uh, Easter, we all often have the renewal of baptismal promises. When the priest, the celebrant says, do you renounce Satan and all his works and empty promises? And we say, I do. That is an exorcism. A major exorcism is when someone's possessed by the devil and the priest has to come in with this very uh, formal rite of exorcism. But in a, in a ceremony like that, when we have this minor exorcism, we're simply renouncing our relationship with Satan. So people shouldn't understand. They see in the in the participation booklet exorcism that we're not suggesting that people that are in the uh, the catechumenate or preparing for baptism are possessed by the devil. But we all are certainly tempted by the devil. And the devil wants us to give in to his temptations. So those minor exorcisms are, are ways of, uh, of breaking that relationship and that dependency on, on the devil. And as members of the lay faithful, we don't just sit on the sidelines. It's not as if the priest says, all right, everybody else just hang tight for a moment here. We're going to put a pause on the mass while I take care of this with the elect. We actually have a role of prayerful support to play in these scrutinies as well, correct? Yes, it's a very important role. You know, so for the right of election, for example, they, the, it's not just the catechumens that show up for that. They come with their sponsors, their family members, and and other members uh, of the parish that have helped them uh, through the catechumenate, their catechetical classes, for example, their teachers, their catechists, uh, the director of religious education, the pastor. So it's the support of the community because they are uh, they're entering a community. That's a very important part of the rites of initiation. They're being initiated into the church. And so you now baptism or becoming a Christian should not be understood in some way as, oh, I'm just adopting a philosophy. You know, I like the Christian way of thinking, so I'm I'm going to adopt a, a Christian philosophy and and uh, join um, join this Christian group. No, you're you're joining the church, and, and the church is the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ is present um, in, the, in the building, the church or the cathedral, uh, and where they're praying with and supporting uh, people. And that's important then, not only during the, the catechumenate and the Lenten season, but even during the Easter season and, and afterwards, where um, that whole period after being received in the church is also very important because it 
it's, it's a reminder to them that the community is there for them. And uh, we don't forget about them even after they've been initiated into the church. There is more to our conversation with Bishop Paprocki that we will hear next week here on the show. Here's our catechist question for you today. In the Scrutiny Sundays that you heard Bishop Paprocki mention, what year are the readings taken from? Your choices are A, B, or C, because there are three cycles, cycle year A, year B, or year C. And the readings for the Scrutiny Sundays are always taken from the Gospels of year A in the season of Lent. We're going to take a break. We'll have the Daily Dose of Encouragement and the weather for you. Don't go anywhere. A prayer to Christ the King. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus Christ, I acknowledge Thee as universal King. All that has been made has been created for Thee. Exercise all Thy rights over me. I renew my baptismal vows, renouncing Satan, his pomps, and his works, and I promise to live as a good Christian. In particular, do I pledge myself to labor to the best of my ability for the triumph of the rights of God and thy church. Divine heart of Jesus, to thee do I proffer my poor services, laboring that all hearts may acknowledge thy sacred kingship, and that thus the reign of thy peace be established throughout the whole universe. Amen. Normally on Fridays, I'm very sad because we have a great week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, and I know it has to come to an end. But this is one of those times that we're only halfway through. There's so much we're unpacking with the Beatitudes that we get two weeks. So this is the end of week one, but we're not finished yet. So, Patty, how do we close off week one of two talking about the Beatitudes? We're going to talk about the fourth Beatitude today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And some translations say they will be satisfied or they will have their fill. So this is, first of all, according to Father Jacques Philippe in his reflection that I read in The Word Among Us, first of all, this is a hunger and a thirst for God, the desire for holiness, the desire to please God and to love him as much as possible. It is also, he said, the desire for truth. When we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're hungering for truth, to be true to God, true to others, and true to ourselves. So this is a lot packed in one hunger and thirst because he says it's also a hunger and a thirst for the salvation of all people. So this beatitude asks us the question, what is your deepest desire? Do you just simply have human ambitions or is it the desire to please God, the desire to give your life for the salvation of the world? So today, when we think about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, hunger and thirst for God, for holiness, let's just pray that we can say, Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for you in all things. Help me to hunger and thirst for your truth, for your love and your salvation for all. That's what this Beatitude is all about. And we all need to increase our own hunger and thirst in all areas of our life for God. So let's review our memorization so far for the first four Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? That was the first one. For they shall inherit the kingdom of God, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those are the first four Beatitudes. Work on memorizing them this week, and then let's let them be on our lips and in our heart so that we can incorporate these beautiful, beautiful attributes in our own life. I'm not saying you have to do homework over the weekend. I'm just saying you would be wise to do this homework over the weekend because I guarantee you, 
this will be on the test. Patty, this has been a wonderful start to our discussions on the Beatitudes here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, and I look forward to next week. Now this has got me thinking, do I remember the Stations of the Cross, too? All these memorization tips Patty gives us, so let's see if I remember them. You've got, he's condemned by Pilate, he picks up his cross, he falls. He meets three people in alphabetical order, Mary, his mother, Simon, and Veronica. And then you have fall, women, fall, he's stripped of his clothes, nailed to the cross, dies, uh, stripped of his clothes, nailed to the cross, dies on the cross... It's taken down and buried. I, I might have an extra station in there. I don't know. I'll have to go to the stations tonight and find out. Speaking of tonight, we're going to be at the Fish Fry at Incarnate Word Parish in Chesterfield, Missouri this evening. We'll be broadcasting live from there, bringing you some break-ins during uh, our normal afternoon program, visiting with the, the fine folks out there and eating some fish. Today is a day of abstinence from meat. It is a Lenten Friday. So, Here's a couple thoughts for you. Don't just abstain from meat, but maybe if you can, if you are able to, which I think a lot of us are, do some fasting today. You don't, it's, you know, it's not obligatory, but it's good, right? It's, it's that's all we need to say. It's it's good. It's good to do some fasting. So please consider doing that today. And uh, it's Friday. Pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy today. Pray the Stations of the Cross today. Pray the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's going to seem an hour earlier when I'm with you on Monday morning, but uh, don't forget to spring forward on those clocks. On a personal note, if anyone wants to uh, find a way that we don't have to do this every spring, I'd, I'd be all for that. In the meantime, thank you for listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, and as the Blessed Mother wants us to do every day, I'd like to remind you to pray your rosary today.